John, and then you'll come to Isaiah, then Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18, reading in the New International Version today. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was mod in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. In the context here of Jeremiah, Jeremiah has been uh, living in the days when the captivity was taking place and the Israelites were being removed out of the land to Babylon. And Jeremiah saw this unfolding, having warned them over and over again to no avail. God proclaims that this pot, if, if you will, was marred in God's hands. It had fallen into the sin of the nations around them. They practiced idolatry, immorality, all the sins of the Gentiles, and even worse, hard to believe. They had been given so much revelation, and yet they fell into so much sin. Paul sort of has to say the same thing to the Corinthians about the man that was living with his father's, sleeping with his father's wife, said that these things are not even mentioned among the Gentiles, going even beyond the sins of the world. Hard to understand. But here, the charge that God has against Israel is that they are a mud pot. But praise the Lord that the pot is in the hands of God. And he takes the clay and he forms it. And he does an amazing work with Israel. And he's talking about the future when he will bring them back into the land. And that's much of the part that Jeremiah plays in the latter part of the book of Jeremiah and throughout it as well. But I would like to use these verses here, verses 1 to 4, and apply them to ourselves. And we have numerous passages in the scriptures about our bodies being vessels. For instance, it tells us in Romans chapter 9, Doth not the potter have power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another vessel unto dishonor? What's that talking about? That's talking about God's electing purposes. That verse follows right after it says, Who art thou, O man, that thou should reply against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? That's man's plea. Like God replies to him by saying, Who are you to reply against God? That's something we always have to be reminded about when we want to complain God says, who are you to reply against God? As if things are out of control, as if I'm not in charge of things. Doth not the potter have power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another vessel unto dishonor? And so praise God, you are thought of, if you're a child of God, you are a vessel of honor. God has bestowed honor upon you. Why we weren't a vessel of clay of dishonor, God only knows. It's his choice. 
There's no difference between us and any other child of wrath. But God, by his pleasure, was pleased to make us a vessel of honor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, We have what? This treasure in earthen vessels or in jars of clay that we should show forth the excellency of his power. Here's again that individual incorporation of the Spirit of God, that empowerment, that treasure, he calls it, the light that shined into our dark houses of clay enlightened us of the light of Christ so we can look right into his face and give him glory and honor that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We can't take any credit, can we, for the life that we live for the Lord? Where did that life come from? We were like in the valley of dry bones. How shall these bones live? We were very dry bones. There was no possibility that they could come together. But when the Spirit of God blows over the valley of dry bones, watch resurrection occur. And that's what happened to you and I. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and it said He has made us alive in Christ. He's resurrected us with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a vessel of honor. We are vessels or houses of clay as well who have an empowerment within us, that treasure. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says that every uh, house has vessels of honor and dishonor. Some vessels of wooden of earth and some of gold and silver. We, by the grace of God, are vessels of gold and of silver. And verse 21 says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, what are those? Those would be the false teachers, the false apostles, the false professing Christians, avoiding those that would be bad influences on them so that they could be vessels of honor, that they would be able to shine, as it were, and, and, uh, and glow for the glory of God. So here now we have the potter's house. I saw him working at the wheel. How interesting that God describes himself as a potter in the potter's house working at the wheel. Now right here I have in front of me, this is a work of pottery. I was looking around the house, I asked my wife to help me to find something that I could utilize to give an illustration of something that was hand done. And so it happened to be one of my daughters, Chrissy, uh, made this, and I told, asked her about it. She said he made it in art class. If you look closely, you'll realize all the blemishes in them. You can tell that she was not an expert uh, pottery maker, but it looks pretty good outwardly at least. Um, but it conveys a thought that I would like to utilize as an illustration for us today. For us to think of ourselves as the Bible describes us as a lump of clay, Just think if God had not put his hands on your life, if you were left to yourself, what would you be like? That's scary, isn't it? I think a lot of us would say, whoa, I'd either be in jail, I'd either be in the grave, and on and on the stories we probably could imagine about ourselves. But praise God for the grace of God that interrupted us going on on a mad career and changed us because the Lord put his hand on the house of clay. In the pot was 
the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. That's the, that's the condition that the clay was found in. We by nature are children of wrath. We have a sinful nature, but we also commit sin ourselves and make this house of clay marred. Naturally speaking, it would be impossible to give it form, to give it beauty, to make it appealing. But because it's in His hands, that makes all the difference in the world, His hands. We give credit to God, don't we? When I, I forget which apostle was it that had gone down to a city because he had heard that the grace of God was working there. And it says, and when he saw what he saw, he saw that the hand of the Lord was upon them. It's the hand of God that creates a new creation. Praise God for that. You know, there's a thing now that they have in seminary and, and different courses that you might take in a Bible college, I suppose, called, never heard the term before until in recent years, called spiritual formation. Maybe you've taken a course in that. And I think some of you have actually written uh, probably little autobiographies of yourself about your spiritual formation. What is that? Well, it's the process of how matters in your life affect the progress of your spiritual journey. What has affected your spiritual journey? First of all, we begin our natural or physical journey at conception. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's when your physical journey began, in the womb of your mother. That's why we don't believe in aborting babies, because a baby is a creation of God at the very outset of conception. But then, of course, when heaven came down and glory filled your soul, you now then became a spiritual person. And now you begin a spiritual journey. The natural is interrupted with the spiritual. You've taken a different path now. You have a different different energy working in you internally, creating in you some desires that you didn't have before In James 1.18 it says, Of His own will begat us by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, By grace we're saved through faith that not of yourselves it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We often start, stop there. But the next verse says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are His workmanship. You, personally, are God's workmanship. You are the pottery in the hands of the potter. You are the clay that He has formed. Made you a vessel of dishonor. Um, excuse me, of honor. From dishonor to honor. He's made you a vessel of honor. He wants you to be a vessel of gold and of silver. And praise God that the potter is still working on the clay, on us, the pot for a purpose of his own. You know, Jesus was a carpenter. He built things. And uh, he builds his church. He's building you and I in ways that are mimicking, mimicking him himself. Philippians 1.6 says, He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Galatians and says to them in chapter 4, verse 19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. 
Now we need to personalize this. He's the potter, I'm the clay, and His desire is to form us. What's the ultimate purpose of God's formation? That we might be conformed, formed into the image of His dear Son. He didn't save you and leave you to yourself. He saved you with a purpose of converting you to transform you so that you would be like His Son, Jesus Christ. That should be very appealing to the child of God. That doesn't mean that we have to walk in robes. That doesn't mean we have to grow our hair long or a beard or whatever, whoever, whatever the Lord Jesus may have looked like. We don't have to, we don't have to imitate the physical. It's the spiritual. It's the person of the Lord Jesus that God wants us to be conformed by. We have to ask ourselves a question then. What is shaping our life? What is God using or what can be used so that we can be, though marred, we can still become the new pot that God designs it ultimately to be? What is it that contributes to our formation? We have to, I think, first ask the question, are we, are you, am I moldable, moldable? In other words, we can't be so hard and fast and so fixated in our kinds of ways and stubbornness and personalities and shtick and all of those other kinds of characteristics that sort of lock us in to a certain lifestyle and this is how I'm going to be. I was born this way and I'm going to die that way. That can't be the case. Are you a hard piece of clay or a soft piece of clay? A soft one is obviously a lot easier to work on than would be a hard one. So we want to be moldable by God. We want to be willing to say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We want to be able to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a willingness to be molded by God. You know, we don't, what do we have then for this mold to form to become a pot in the hands, a piece of pottery in the hands of the potter himself? Number one is the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he's none of his. The greatest possession that you and I have is the Holy Spirit. I don't think we recognize that enough. You are what you are truly by the grace of God, but because of the Spirit of God within you. And let me say this about the Holy Spirit. We don't need more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit needs more of us. And I don't mean that the Holy Spirit is deficient in needing us, but the Holy Spirit has been adequately supplied to us. To the fullest. It's just a matter of us utilizing the Spirit of God. We don't need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of us. What am I saying? We need to be more moldable. We need to be more willing to say, Lord, let me be formed by you into the image that you desire to me for me to be formed into. We all have the Holy Spirit, does the whole, but does the Holy Spirit have all of us? We have all of the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of us? Kind of challenging, I find. 
God wants to sculpture us into the image of His dear Son. It's like He picked up a piece of marble that was just laying there on the ground and He took it and He formed it in the ways in which He desires it to be. Think of Adam. God put Adam to sleep. He took a rib out of his side and it says, and with a rib He built a woman. What came forth from the second Adam's side? When the soldier pierced his side, therewith came forth what? Blood and water. Why? So that he could have a bride. So that he could present the bride to himself, holy and without spot before God, so that Jesus would have as the head a body in fullness. What an analogy we have in the Scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What kind of liberty does that give to me and you? That we all, who have the Spirit, the Spirit of liberty, can with an unveiled face. Paul in that chapter is talking about the Jew that has the veil over his head and can't see beyond the truth of beyond the Scriptures to Christ that it's actually pointing to. We all with, un, be, with, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord's faith, uh, the glory of the Lord are being changed or transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. That's amazing. So how is, how does this transformation take place? How is the pot being molded? We need to be looking at the Lord of glory. We need to be beholding Him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, we probably are all wondering, man, I'm, I'm just not cutting it. I'm, I'm not living up to, I think, what I probably should be as a child of God. I think we all kind of hang our head in that way. And I, but I do think that we can say, as I've said before, quoting others who have put it this way, I know I'm not what I should be. And I know I'm not what I'm going to be. But I know I'm not what I used to be. Hallelujah to that. Right? Can you say amen? I know I'm not what I used to be. Even though the improvement or the change, I should say, the transformation has not been so what it should be, but nevertheless, it's, there's a change that happens. It happens in our life. Some, sometimes people get saved dramatically, uh, just like crystal clear. It's like boom, and it's, it's a, a revelation, enlightenment that comes like bingo. Sometimes with others, it's almost like, I think these lights have dimmers, so you can just you t- start to turn it, a little bit light of light comes, and then more and more it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's how it is sometimes with some of us, depending on your particular conversion, some of you might be able to pinpoint and says, wow, it was right there that heaven came down and glory filled my soul, or it was at that point when the light started to come on, and it got brighter and brighter, and in some sense, no matter what, how you had your conversion experience, the light should be getting brighter and brighter and brighter in our lives. <coughs> We're not yet a finished product. We're still a work in progress. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, There is a little hell within the heart of every child of God. And only the great God of heaven can master that mischievous indwelling sin. So don't get overly discouraged, brothers and sisters. We're not yet freed from this tabernacle of death, as Paul calls it. 
we still have the sinful nature resident within us, a residual of it. Hopefully we are more than overcomers or conquerors through Him that loves us. But nevertheless, we do have, like He says, we have a little bit of hell within our hearts, even as children of God. But God, praise Him, can master that mischievous indwelling. And that goes back again to the potter with the pottery, with the clay molding it. (coughs) And don't let the past remind you. This is from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, one of their lines. Sometimes my mind goes back to some of those songs and I go, I wonder what that's all about. And I look on the internet and I see what the lyrics of the songs were and I said, man, they're missing it entirely. But occasionally you'll find a word or two here like this one. Don't let the past remind you of what you are not now. Remember that song, Brother Paul? (laughs) Uh, You're old enough, you remember it. Don't let the past remind you of what you are not now. Hallelujah. When I look into the past, sometimes I say, oh man, that was scary. How did I ever do those things? Wow. It's amazing grace that saved a soul like me and took me out of a horrible pit. I was doing some ministry with a group of brothers and sisters with opiate addicts and so on, and uh, two of them had amazing conversion experiences from prostituting themselves to getting drugs and high all the time and living homelessly and and the other one too was a drug pusher and whatnot and I, I've talked to them kind of personally and they're just you know and here we're trying to minister to to uh, to addicts and bringing the gospel and uh, telling them the power of the gospel and I went and I hugged them both and I said you guys are a miracle of God's just think these people if they could only experience what you experienced, that's what we hope for today. That a miracle of God's great salvation will transform them like they did you. And here they are ministering the word and living the life as a child of God because the great potter had the mud clay and he formed it into his own image. What else does God use in our formation? It's the word of God The Word of God is life-giving and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible is like a flashlight that gets into the very crevices of our being and it exposes for us those hidden sins in our life that can be by being exposed can bring things to light so that we can judge them before God. Jesus said about the Word of God, let these things, what His Word, sink deep down into your ears. Jesus is saying that. Let these things... How do you read the Bible? Is it just so like a daily chore that you have every day and you're supposed to do it because you're a Christian? And I know all of us probably, this happens. We read the Word and it just... We feel like didn't do anything for me today. Or... I didn't really get out of it anything today. Yeah, those are days like that. And maybe this can help you, this little illustration I heard a long time ago. A farmer was uh, trying to teach a boy a lesson, and uh, he uh, said, go in the barn and grab one of the, grab a certain basket, straw basket off the wall. It's hanging by a nail there. So he went in, he went into the barn, he pulled it off, and he said, now go down, go down to the, to the lake and I want you to come back with a basket full of water. So the boy went down, five year old boy or whatever, he went down, he dipped it into the lake 
And he started to walk away with it, and it all came out. And he thought, hmm. He tried it again and again, and he finally he came back with it, and he said to his father, the farmer, he said, Dad, I, I did everything you, you told me to do, but I don't have any water in it. He says, yeah, but look at the basket. Look at how clean it was. It is now. Remember what it was before? All the cobwebs that were in it? Well, that's what the Bible can do sometimes for us when we don't retain maybe what we should and we don't seem to get anything out of it. It still has a cleansing effect upon us. Let's believe that and trust that. It says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, not just dwell in you, but dwell in you richly. That's God telling that. Let it be pounded into you. David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, the word's got to go deeper than just in here. It's got to go deep down in here to affect us. Another thing we have so that we can be molded by the Lord is prayer, a prayer life. Jude says, Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. What prayer can do for us, it can build us up on our most holy faith. It can cause that formation to occur in that mold to be what the Lord wants it to pray, to be. Prayer doesn't just change things, but prayer changes me. Prayer changes you, not just praying for the things that you're praying for, but the fact that you're praying has a change on you. That's how powerful prayer can be. Jesus says men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not to give up the tendency. Prayer is hard. I think for me, and I've heard this from others and pastors as well, that saying a prayer life is the hardest discipline of the Christian's life. And some of you can say amen probably to that honestly and say, yep, that's the hardest thing I have in my life is my prayer life. It's weak. It's shallow. It's I fall asleep when I pray. My mind wanders when I pray. I lose track of what I'm praying, etc., etc. We all know that. And I think some have gifts of prayer, that prayer is, they're in the presence. They're in a closet with God. They have this intimacy with Him that... I take my hat off. I praise the Lord for brothers and sisters like that. So I want to be encouraged to be more of a praying person. No matter, there's no definition of what prayer is. When you're riding in your car, talk to God. Speak to Him like He's your passenger. Well, you're the passenger. He's got the wheel. Maybe a better way of putting it. But we need to have that kind of relationship with God that He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's constantly with us, never leaving us, forsaking us. Another thing that can help us to be more like a piece of clay in God's hands for the sake of forming us into His Son's image is the people in your life. Who are the people that are most intimately in your life? It's been said that a person is known by the company he keeps. The company that you keep is going to have an effect upon you. Paul says in Corinthians that evil communications corrupt good manners. Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So it is significant the kind of people that we choose to have in our lives. Because we have a personal relationship with the Lord, that doesn't mean you don't have a personal relationship with people. I come across that more often than I want to. People that 
divorce themselves from the body of Christ, from fellow believers, from good influences in their lives, and they isolate themselves. Proverbs 18.1 says, He that separateth himself seeketh his own pleasure and is vehement against all sound judgment. He that separates, segregates, isolates, that's, that's not right. If we do, watch out. You know, we've got an Elijah spirit. I only am a prophet of the Lord. Or we have this sort of pride about independence. No, God didn't save us as independence. He saved us individually, but individually, corporately, which leads me to my last point. Churching. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Just think of it, in the first century, the author of Hebrews is saying, it's customary for some to be avoiding the assembling of themselves together in one place. Now, this is not a dictate. This is not taking attendance uh, for a, your records so that you get a good grade on it. That's not the point of attending church. That's why I like to call it churching, assembling, gathering. For what purpose? Something magic, in a way, takes place when a church comes together. I'm using that word loosely, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's something wonderful when the brothers and sisters are together as a family. A unity here. You and I might have different personalities. We might never have hung out with one another in the past. You're different from me and I'm different from you. But we're one in Christ now. We're family. You and I are heaven-bound. We're united together in Christ Jesus. We have the same Spirit of God. We have the same desires. We have a commonality that we wouldn't have if we weren't children of God. We're closer to one another by the blood of Christ than we are to our own family members who we're connected to by life's blood. That sometimes is hard to say, but it's true. I prefer to be in the company of God's people those who love the Lord that are going to impact me and hopefully I can impact them than those that I might have the most natural fleshly connection with. And I love them too. Don't misunderstand me. I said that something magic goes on. Um, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I know that verse has been wrongly applied and the following verse says, um, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching, that's the verse before, if any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now we know that that verse is, the Lord is telling the church <clears throat> that they are installed with authority from Christ to be able to uh, issue things in this world that will have a heavenly judgment connected with it. But I want to look at it from a little different perspective. The Lord is saying, I am associated with the two or three. Because that's how it begins, where two or three are gathered together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, if the whole church become together into one place, in my spirit, Paul's talking about his spirit with them, that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to put away from yourselves that wicked person. There again is the authority of Christ in the midst. So there is something special about the church that comes together. 
we come together, not when I talk about a social gathering or a private gathering of Christians, which is wonderful in social gatherings. I'm not against them, of course. But when the church is coming together for churching, there's something special going on. When you're corporately with God's people and you're giving praise to the Lamb of God, when you're hearing the Word preached, when you're singing songs, when you're joining in with the body, that's a little taste of heaven. What is heaven going to be like? You don't ever see in the book of Revelation where there's this person off on one side or, or, or off in the distance. No, they're always together. There's, there's a corporateness about it. And this needs to be a, that, that model kind of needs to be imitated by us here below. You know, in Christianity, unlike Buddhism, you know, Buddhism in, in their reincarnation system, you keep coming back after you die in, an, in another form. It could be another animal, it could be another person or whatever. But if you reach what they call a state of nirvana, which means that you have lived a life to such a degree that you have reached a perfected state that you will now enjoy nirvana. That's the ultimate peace. And you don't need to come back again and be re- reincarnated and recycled in the world. Well, that's not the case in Christianity. We're never going to be perfect in this world. Even though we're told, be ye perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. The sanctification process, that molding process of the Lord is going on in our lives. You and I are the clay and He's forming us and He's using all kinds of different things in our lives. Even the things that we seem to think that are bad for us, they're good for us. Paul says, I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I take pleasure in reproaches, necessities, persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That's the kind of form God wants to have us in ultimately. I'll just close with this by saying, you know, when Henry Ford had made his early Model T's, he himself was in one driving down the street and he noticed one of his Model T's was on the side of the road and somebody was having a problem with it. Couldn't get it going. It died out on him. Well, Mr. Ford got out of his car. He went over and he opened the hood and he looked into it and he fiddled around a little bit and he says, wait a second. He went back in his vehicle. He got a tool. He came out. He got under that hood and just in a moment he got that thing purring like a kitten again. It was rolling like like you read about. You know, we have a author of our faith, the Lord, who has the application that we need in our lives when we feel broken down, when we feel marred. He can change that so that the end result is according to His purpose and His will. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. After thy will, I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Search me and try me, Savior, today. Have thine own way, Lord. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord. Hold o'er my being, absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only, always, living in me. We're going to have a group come on up and we're going to sing that final song. Have thine own way, Lord, and as it comes.